waiting for uh, Facebook to push this out. And once we get a few people here, then we'll start teaching. There we have one. Hello, glad you're here. Okay, we got three. And we'll have more later on. So thank you for being here today uh, on Facebook Live. And we appreciate you very much. I know you have a lot of choices today of people to listen to. There was a time when uh, there wasn't a lot of people teaching what we call the living word. They were basically teaching the written word with their understanding, but now there's uh, quite a few teachers out there. So again, I know you have lots of choices and they're great teachers and I appreciate you being with, here with me live today. Those who will listen later on and also on YouTube. So Sharon Anderson, good to see you sister. So uh, we are, for people that might be new to this, I am teaching the uh, spiritual symbolism and code of the living word. And the last uh, probably four or five months, I've been, I'm on my fifth book that I'm writing. <clears throat> and what we're doing is we're unveiling Paul's system of truth because there was a great veil put over Paul's system of truth, which was the idea of penal substitution. And that affected those translations. And we know now when we read the word, there's a lot of symbolism there. There's parables. There's all kinds of ways that the Bible was written that we need to understand that. Hi, Connie. And so uh, today, uh, I'm, I think this is the 71st first lesson on spiritual code and symbolism of the living word. Today, I want to talk about uh, some of the queens in the old outlook books. Uh, in Paul's system of truth, we were taught several different ways of understanding. And as I taught probably three or four lessons back, I taught on identification. And if you didn't listen to that one, you should. It was a really, the Spirit of the Lord really helped me to explain identification. And I got a lot of good feedback on that. In fact, one of our uh, friends' colleges, they're gonna put that in their course and some of these other ones that I'm teaching. But that'll help you a lot. But uh, I titled this lesson, or I just kind of put a subtitle, Do You Think You're Still Married to Adam? Do you think you have an old man? Do you think you have no deficiency in your understanding? Because there are a lot of people in that place in life right now where they think they, you know, they've been in church all their life and they've heard uh, the many teachings of the Bible and they think they understand everything there is. And the truth is we don't. And so we're going to go through this and, and explain this through two types of queens. And what we're looking at, as we always do in all of our teachings, is we are looking for different awareness and a spiritual awareness or carnal awareness. And basically that's where you can measure where you're at in your life. What kind of awareness do you live out of? What kind of awareness do you dwell on? What kind of awareness do you feed on? Just like, you know, I was talking to my daughter yesterday. She was talking about how many, many years ago, we didn't have near the information that we have today. You know, we wake up in the morning and we check our email, we check our Facebook, we, we check Twitter, then we, then we check the news, and, and then we check the weather, and all those things, and most of them are based on fear. You know, I kind of laugh a little bit often when the weatherman says it's going to be 95 degrees today, but the heat index is going to be 200 degrees, and you don't want to go outside, <laughs> and I'm exaggerating, but that's how they act, and it's a very fearful report. You don't want to go outside. If you do, make sure you wear a hat, make sure you drink a lot of water, make sure you put sunscreen on. You know, we never heard that when we were kids. We just heard it's going to be 95 degrees today. Well, it's summer. That's normal. But everything's really exaggerated today. So it's important for us to, to focus on truth and focus on things that do not bring fear into our lives. So hi, Ann and Carl. Glad you're here today. 
So we want to understand we have the life of our Father in every cell of our being and, and all the parts that that make up. I mean, every organ, every part of my being, I have the life of Father in me. You do too, and you were born with that. But you know, the traditional church, and I grew up in them, uh, the, ch the churches sing songs that tell us that fact because there are a lot of songs about life and they rejoice and they praise Father for that life. But they preach the death of Jesus and us dying to things so we can walk out of Jesus' life. So that almost implies that we don't have it. It's something we had to earn. <clears throat> and that's what we were taught in Paul's system of truth, six steps to the throne, with the penal substitutionary doctrine is we had to identify with the death before we could live life. But yet they sing songs that we have life all the time. So we don't preach a tree of life that we need to die to anything. Most of my life I was taught that I need to die to my flesh. I need to die to eating too much ice cream. Whatever the list was, we were taught that we had to die to something. But we preach and explain everything that we wrongfully battled and we give it a power really has no power over you whatsoever. And as Kay says, it's no thing. Isaiah said it's less than, less than nothing. And so we don't deny there are problems. We don't deny that, deny that there are sicknesses. It would be silly me for the doctor to tell me that I have something and then I say, no, I don't. And so, but what we have to do is we get in that mind frame, well, thank you for your diagnosis, but I deny it's right to take me out. And so we, we, we defy those things as no things. And that's how we do it. We realize that it's uh, uh, with Father, there is no weapon formed against me. And I'm with Father, and I'm in Father, and Father's with me. So I pointed out in my last teaching, uh, uh, the last chapter of this book and the last teaching that I'm writing, is there's a woman written of in Revelation 18.7. We talked about her, I think it was last week probably, who says she resides as a queen, and that means to rule. And she declares she's no widow, meaning the idea of no deficiency. She thinks she lacks nothing. And she's married to her understanding, to a mistaken identity, and she believes that to be accurate. And, you know, we can look at most people in the world that's in Western, uh, Western Christian evangelical Christianity, excuse me, that they believe they lack nothing. They believe that they, you know, because they got saved, they have everything that they need or because they got filled with the Holy Ghost, they have everything that they need. And then they believe that the doctrines that they've been taught are true. And to the fact that they still believe that they're sinners. So in other words, they still think that they're married to an old man. And one thing I talk to a lot of people, hi Sheila, is uh, the odd thing that I've always thought about is before I went to church, I was a sinner. And then after I went to church and if I said the sinner's prayer, I'm still a sinner but I'm just saying. So people fight for the right to believe that they're still a sinner. And so that's what this queen represents. I'm, I'm still, I, I'm not a widow. I'm still married to a, an old man. I'm still part of that, you know, that lie that was taught us. She also said that she would see no sorrow. And in other words, uh, she would not really experience a lack. So this queen figures, uh, figure is unlike Esther, my favorite queen and the whole historical part of the Bible, who was not prideful, and she possessed great spiritual understanding. F Esther represents the power of love to win the will over, or the ego, which is me, myself, and I. And Esther describes this dissolving power of spiritual love, because if you function out of your spiritual love, 
then really it will dissolve that dictatorial will that seems to be ruling in people's life. Queen Esther had all of her relatives, the Jews, which represents spiritual thought, join her in a fast, which means we must deny that need for selfish desire before love can function in our life. I don't have to de deny things because that gives it a power, but I deny my need for selfish desire. I don't need those things. Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are what? Expedient. And so if uh, I just wanted to show you, if you've never ordered my book on Esther, I think you'd really enjoy it. Don and I was talking about it before I started here. And uh, Esther is really one of the greatest stories to me, how the people grow up in their awareness and they save their nation. They save people around them. It's not a book just for men. None of my books for men are from just for men or women. It's for everyone. You know, the virtuous woman experience is not about how to be a good wife or how, it's all about awareness. So this is a great book that I think would help you a lot. But when this consciousness of love stands in the inner court, inside of us, if you would, <clears throat> of our being, we cannot help uh, ascending to its demands. And that's what I want to ascend to is love. I was thinking this morning, uh, and I've heard, I don't know, yesterday or whatever, where the government wants to make some more laws to control people. And I was thinking, if everybody loved one another, if everybody treated people right, would we need laws? We wouldn't need laws. We wouldn't need most of the psychologists and psychiatrists out there. We wouldn't need many things out there if we all treated people right and treated people with agape love. And so... Unselfish love is fearless because it's forgetfulness of self. When you have unselfish love, you're not worried about yourself. You're not thinking about yourself. You love all people, and that's important for us. So what does will do? Will divides its dominion, if you would. Will, self-will apart from love, causes a lot of problems. But then love swallows that up. Love causes us to approach things with a right attitude, and we're touching the highest point of spiritual understanding. And if you remember, Esther was trying to save her nation. She remembered, I think it was Haman that was wanting to, to kill all the Jews. And you're not supposed to enter into the king's chamber unless you're invited in or you have a certain relationship. She boldly entered in and it said she touched the top of the scepter. And he, did, he allowed her to come in. So that to me, that is the top of awareness. And that's what she did. She touched the golden scepter. So understanding the divine law of spirit and life is the one necessary thing in all of us that brings permanent union. Understanding this law. That's the only law that we should live on under is the law of spirit and life. We live out of our spirit. We live out of our holy breath. So when we know the truth that we are all one, then there is no separation whatsoever. When we know that we're all one, then we all love one another. On Facebook, I write quite often to people when they have make certain comments and things, and I always remind them at the end, I love you, we are one. And I'm telling you, people embrace that because they don't hear that too much. And so the, the queen people, if you would, in type, in the revelation, use their love and power for selfish ends entirely. I believe every person on planet Earth has the divine mind in them. I believe every person on planet Earth knows all things. I believe every person on planet Earth has divine wisdom in them. But because they haven't been taught correctly, they don't understand, then they use that power. They use their love 
for and power again for selfish uh, means. And then their final devastation comes when they come to the end of everything that dominates them. But the problem is many people don't come to the end. And I believe in order to wake up, I believe in order to tune into the divine mind, you've had to come to the end of everything that you thought was helping you. And I've had to do that a lot in my life. And sometimes when you come to the end of it, it's hard because you thought that was a sacred thing. One thing is your religious, your religious belief systems, places that you have connected yourself to that's teaching wrong things. Sometimes you have to come to the end of that. And it's very hard. And I always say that's the willing and gnashing of teeth. When you find out that everything you thought was true is not true. So eventually they will all be free from this, either in this life or after one's body ceases to be able to hold them. But it would be better if we come to the end of those things now. So if all people would do right and treat people right, like I said, we would need, have no need for carnal laws whatsoever. I have friends. We have a friend that's probably going to be passed away pretty soon. And this friend pretty much fights for what she's believed all of her life. And a lot of it is basically not true. But when that happens and she fully awakens to spirit, fully awakens, then guess what? She's going to know all things. But I don't want to die before I know all things. I already know it. I'm just not aware yet. And so in Romans 14, 11, I want to read the King James Version of it first. And then I'm going to teach my translation. But this is an interesting verse I've heard all my life. And I never believed it. I never understood it. But it says, uh, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give an account, an account of himself. So every knee shall bow to me, and that's supposedly Jesus, as I live, saith the Lord. And I, I just thought that's just really unusual, but that's where people get the idea that we're all going to die and we're going to have to bow down and we're going to have to confess everything that we've ever done. So, because it says we give account of ourselves to God. Well, first of all, does not God know everything about us already? No. Right? So why would I have to tell God everything that I've ever done or haven't done? Father already knows. So we were taught that. And, and so here's the translation. And I translated this quite a while ago. But in uh, Romans 14, 11, and Donna's got my translation book out, so it'll help you a lot. It says, the seer and comforter messenger Isaiah wrote at the voice of our father. So Paul was quoting him. For, as to, li for to live as holy breath, seeing to, every person will fully agree that we are all one holy breath. So everyone himself will be able to give an explanation of who their father is in them and humanity's eternal union with our father creator. Let us not therefore ill judge one another anymore but decide to no longer place an obstacle in anyone's path of life or speak a word of them that will cause them to slip back into a mistaken identity. That's completely different than what the King James Version says, correct? Mm -hmm. And so I know there are people will do what I did. I looked up Philippians. Oh, what about what Paul said to the Philippian church? Well, in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, he said that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So I have to tell you, I have never seen anybody in my life that heard the name of Jesus and they just bowed down. Did you, Donna? Never. 
And that almost sounds to me like a Catholic translation because they exalt their, their uh, priests, they exalt their idols, and when people come into the presence of the Pope, what do they do? They bow down, they kiss his ring or whatever. And so that's what that is, and it was translated wrong. It's just like what I just read to you from Romans, but they added that. So next we find in 1 Corinthians, or Chronicles 7.18, we find a woman whose name is, uh, is Hamilcath. It's spelled H-A-M-M-O-L-E-K-E-T-H. <clears throat> and her real Hebrew name is the last part of her name, Molokath, meaning queen. Her name means queen. The root word to Molokath is a malak, and it's pointing to reign, to ascend to the throne, to induct a royalty, and hence to counsel. Malak symbolizes the soul lifted up in conversation with Father and dwelling on spiritual thought. Isn't that cool? And that's what Father wants us to do. Now, Brother Garner and Leon Stump, in their revelation that they followed and their understanding, they taught six steps to the throne, they taught the Pauline revelation, but the six steps to the throne was the only way to rise up to being who you are. And that, to me, who I am is I am the throne room of God. So we had to identify with crucified, died and buried and quickened, raised and seated. We had to identify with Jesus' death, Jesus' uh, crucifixion first and, and what he went through. And we had to go through all that. But the truth is, all we needed to do is, uh, and to teach is to teach people to listen to the voice of Father, have a conversation with Father, and listen to the voice of understanding. It's just like if I see somebody that I want to be friends with, I don't have to identify with them. I don't have to identify with their life or anything that they've done. All I need to do is start having a conversation with them and dwell on those thoughts and think about those thoughts. Don and I have many friends, and we're very fortunate to the amount of friends that we have. And we talk to them, and then we drive home sometimes, and we discuss what we talked about. So to me, that's the same picture is I have a conversation with my father, I listen to my father, and I meditate on that thought. And it is a spiritual thought. And then guess what? We find out, like I said last week, I am a friend of God. To be a friend, you stay in contact. So again, in the past, uh, Gary Garner, Leon Stump, they taught this, this uh, six steps to the throne, and I did too. And we always thought that we had to follow Jesus' steps and, and everything that he did and then identify with that. So the truth is, we only need to lean, as Paul said, to our divine mind. In the book of, in, in the epistle of Romans, the book of the letters of Romans, after he taught so much to the people, he said, now that you understand this, now that you know what happened, what Jesus revealed, now do not be conformed to this old worn out way of living, which could be an experience or understanding, but be transfigured to who you are by leaning to the renewing mind. He didn't say by the renewing of mind. He said, be transformed by the renewing mind, not the renewing of the mind. So the truth is we only need to, to, to learn or to enjoy conversations with Father, to quieten ourselves and, and to be still, to be calm and listen to the voice of Father and have a conversation. And, you know, we can talk to Father. And the best way to talk to Father is not ask for a lot of stuff. Because once you come to the end of all that asking, then you can ask, ascertain and seek the desire to know a thing, to have understanding come to you. And so, yes, we need to see and understand what Jesus did and what he taught, but we do not need to 
identify with his death because his death was the end of a old worn out way of living. In other words, I didn't die when Jesus died. My, I didn't have an old man. I didn't need to die to anything. The truth is, is we had and we still sometimes have an old worn out awareness that needs to be replaced to the truth. And that's what we're doing. Embracing the truth brings you true freedom. Embracing religiosity uh, binds you up and holds you back. So which one do you want? Well, I want to embrace the eternal truth that brings me eternal freedom. Then there's another queen. <clears throat> Her name is Candace, and she's listed in Acts, uh, Acts 8.27. I'm not going to read from there, but she's listed there. She was the queen of the Ethiopians who... And he was a, uh, she had a servant uh, who was taught by Philip of Father's eternal love. That was the eunuch. If you remember the story of the eunuch, when he was, uh, Philip was there and he heard this eunuch reading out of Isaiah and the father instructed him to move closer to the chariot. He was listening to him. Then he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless a teacher sent? And Philip began to explain to him about what Isaiah was saying, what Jesus tried to explain to the people and he said, hop in, teach me more, you know. And so as they went along, uh, the guy saw water and, you know, he, Philip talked about being baptized, which really was an awareness. But back then they baptized in water. He said, there's water, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip did not say, confess Jesus Christ as Lord of your life and all that. That was all added, that whole verse. But he pretty much said nothing and they jumped in and he baptized them and then he translated somewhere else so that's a fabulous story there but so what we need to understand here is ethiopia uh, uh, symbolizes a state of consciousness where there's darkness of materiality if you would our physical sense knowledge dwells there's no light there's no understanding and so candace the queen of the ethiopians signifies a ruling thought of that which is a, the ethiopian uh, Ethiopia signifies, and it's translated by the word Kush, K-O-O-S-H, or actually K-U-W-S-H, it's pronounced Kush. And if you remember when I taught out of Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 35, where uh, it talks about the people going off into different places. One of those places, Donna, was Kush, right? And what did it mean? It meant darkness. Kush meant no understanding, or no light on spiritual understanding. So these Ethiopians and their queen had no priest who could shine light on their eternal perfection. And if you remember, we've taught before about the priest in the old covenant time, the old, not old covenant, the old outlook, old perception times, they were, uh, some of them were, uh, were, were a breastplate, and inside that breastplate was taught, uh, thought to be two different rocks, one I think black or white or whatever, but they represented Urim and Thummim, and uh, Urim means light and Thuman means perfection. So in Nehemiah, the priests were thought to be polluted because they didn't have any of their papers. The, the Babylonians had destroyed them, so they had no proof that they were Levitical priests. And it said until a priest could stand up with Urim and Thummim, which means a, a priest could stand up with light on perfection. And we've all been there before. We, we couldn't prove who we were, most of us, could we, Donna? We couldn't prove that we were righteous. We, we could prove we were saved because we said the sinner's prayer. And we felt like if we continue to live, you know, some people said you could lose your salvation. But when a priest stood up and began to minister and began to shine 
his understanding of light on perfection, which was Brother Garner, then we begin to be able to prove who we are. And we thought it was based on what Jesus did. And now we have priests standing up with light on eternal perfection. We know who we are because of what Father did from the foundation of the world. So Ethiopia did not have that. This queen did not have this. This person being a queen is interesting because they're not kings. Remember last week I taught on Jesus saying he was king of kings? Remember that explanation? I hope most of you did. Yeah. But that denotes the fact that the will of one who dwells in sense consciousness is directed by feelings, directed by desires and emotions, and an unawakened soul in the feminine side, which is the left side of the brain rather than the right side. So we have several queens here that denote this fact that they, they, they literally live out of their sense realm. And then we have a couple queens, which is one was Esther, and we'll see another one later that's they're driven by their right side, if you would. They're, they're driven by the voice of spirit in their life. That's the kind of person we want to be where they really ascended to have a king nature. And so we are, we are kings teaching kings, if you would. And if you didn't hear about that, you can listen to last week's message. But I pointed out in our last chapter about this, and basically, a king of kings means you're staying in contact with your divine mind. And uh, Jesus was in the surrounding area of Jerusalem, and he, when he was there, he was there to teach kings. He was there to teach kings how to live out of who they are forever. So the Queen of Revelation, again, chapter 18, symbolizes a, an awareness of man who needs to hear what the Apostle Paul taught in Romans 6, 20 and 22. And I'm going to read that to you in my translation, and then later we'll read the rest of it. But for when you were a slave to the Mosaic Law, and, uh, you may wait till you turn there, Donna. I'll give you just a second. Romans 6, 20. <clears throat> I hope some of you have my... Romans translation, so you can follow this while I teach. For when you were a slave to the Mosaic law and the dead works of righteousness, as filthy rags picture the failure of conception, those efforts failed to give you an experience of the righteousness you tried to obtain and believe you would. Believed you would. Verse 21, when you strive to follow the works of law and the endless efforts of doing things to become righteous, in no way did you experience your eternal righteous being. Verse 22, part, of, part A, what fruit did you receive from the endless works of trying to be righteous? So that's what these queens needed to understand because they were happy with who they were. They thought they were still married to an old man or they thought they were still married to Adam because if we're a sinner, we must be of Adam. And even if we're a sinner saved by grace, we're still of Adam. So we're always fighting Adam. We're always fighting old man. We're always fighting trouble. They needed to hear what Paul was saying. We needed to hear what Paul was saying. And I'll read the other part later. But my second favorite queen to teach from in historical times is the Queen of Sheba. It's a fabulous story. And I've often taught that of her, uh, her, of her in this series of books and other times. But Sheila, Sheba indicates the ruling intelligence of the whole consciousness pertaining to the part of our being that has to do with our nature, if you would, our, our not, not necessarily our spiritual nature, but our physical nature. Sheba means seven, and it also means cyclo, C-Y-C-L-I-C, and that word means reoccurring 
or ever repeating are replete. So it also means fullness, it means completeness, it means fullness of time, fulfillment, and oath. So she had great understanding within her, but she didn't know it. And she didn't, you know, she needed somebody to help her to answer her questions. Does she not fit everybody in the world? Particularly people who are bound up in religion. Uh, they, they have lots of questions and most people aren't able to answer those questions. So what did she do? She came to Solomon to prove him with challenging questions. And I'm so happy that when people come to us with challenging questions, we can answer the questions now. I can't answer every question, but I tell you what, I can answer most of them. And if I can't answer them, I can call Kay and say, can you help me with this? That, that questions are not hidden from us anymore because we've opened ourselves up to the living word. So Sheba pertains to wholeness or fullness on the heavenly plane of existence. She had it, but she needed a comforter teacher in her life to open her up to it. So literally what this means here, this wholeness or fullness on the heavenly plane, it means to return to an original state. It means to rest. It means to repose. It means equilibrium. It means reintegration. It means restoration. So what does the living word do? It returns us in our awareness to our original state. As I've said before, when they use the word Jesus was the only begotten son, uh, it, the word begotten, when you studied out, it actually means to stay in your original state. So he was the only son in his time in the world that he was in that stayed in his original state, which was in, in, in uh, tune with the divine mind of Father. So Solomon, in the wisdom of holy breath, comes in touch with his unillumined, unillumined nature, our natural being, which is the Queen of Sheba. That's what this pictures. You have Solomon representing wisdom, the divine mind. You have the Queen of Sheba representing people that they, they know there's some answers that they need and they come in contact with the divine mind, or we can say they come into contact with a messenger comforter to help them come in contact with the divine mind. So Solomon, again, uh, comes in contact with the Queen of Sheba. When this illumination from holy breath is first received for a time, uh, we become absorbed in it, uh, in its revelations, and literally we almost become almost unconscious to that which without. without. And if you've had that experience before, many people have, I believe in a measure that's what takes place when people unknowingly first make contact with the divine mind. It's such an experience that they almost, I don't know, become just, uh, I've seen people faint. I've seen people kind of pass out. Uh, I believe it's what some people call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I believe that's when you really came in contact with the divine mind, but we were not taught that was what was going on. Because, Donna, you know now you already had the Holy Spirit, don't you? You had that awareness that you already had it, but, but you wasn't experiencing it. So it's important for this to take place. That's what happens when Sheba comes in contact with Solomon. Okay, so I've explained that good enough. So the Queen of Sheba came to prove him with tough questions. She communed with him of all that was in her thoughts. And you know what? We need to do that with Father. We need to do that with a comforter messenger. But we can, we can do that with Father if we get quiet and calm and still and listen and we really want to hear. And here is indicated the question and tendency of the physical side of the being. If we're always living in the physical side, if we're always living in an outer conscious awareness, 
there's constant questioning going on all the time. What about, what about, what about? When I first come in contact with people that are listening to me, in the very beginning, they begin to ask a whole lot of questions and they begin to throw scripture at me. Well, what about this scripture? What about that scripture? And I'll listen for a while, then I had to contact them and I begin to tell them, you need to back up, you need to, get, uh, you know, and, and calm down and just begin to listen and your questions will be answered. But if you're constantly asking questions over and over and over, it, it gets confusing and it, sometimes people just stop listening. And so sometimes we need to, what, what does the Bible say again? It means be still and know. In other words, be quiet and calm. And if you'll be quiet and calm and listen to your teachers, you will understand. Uh, if I go to college and there's a professor that's going to teach me things, the wisest thing I can do is sit there and less, listen and pay attention and take notes. Then at the end, what do they usually do? Are there any questions? But most people want to ask the questions, but they don't want to listen to the teaching because they're full of questions. So there is implanted in us this substance side of our consciousness and it brings a degree of intelligence, you know, sometimes, but it's not the source of divine wisdom. There is a lot of intelligence in the world because man can come up with all kinds of contrivances. Man can come up with all kinds of ideas, man who senses in his nostrils. But when we listen to spiritual truth, they're not just ideas, they're the way. They're the way, they're the truth, and they're the life. And so this illustration is what I would call the Eden allegory by the servant. Uh, the serpent, and it's, it's symbolic of essential intelligence, and it pervades our nature, and it causes people to want to learn from their own experiences, and that's what happened in the garden. Rather than learning from the divine mind, they learned from their own experience, and when they did that, they identify with what they learned, and they saw themselves as naked. So Solomon did that for a while, and he came to the end of it. Remember, if you read it all about Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he went out to prove the world, and he went after physical things. At the, at the end, what he called them was soap bubbles, soap bubbles. That, I mean, it was nothing. It looked beautiful, but when you touched it, it just popped. And so that's when Solomon began to seek spiritual things. So the sense consciousness constantly ask an explanation of the riddle of experience. Those who do not seek the divine mind with themselves are constantly seeking without for answers, right? The, the physical and everything else, even like diet today because of, uh, of health problems. And I'm not against it, but people are seeking without. If I eat this kind of food or if I do this or I do that, and I believe in eating clean and I believe in eating good foods, but I also believe in divine health. I believe it's better to go within and that's what I'm doing. I'm going within. I'm seeking. I'm asking, Father. And I'm, I'm, I'm hungering for the truth of the matter that I know that I know that I know that I have the very divine health of Father inside of me. And I can tap into that. So uh, never can these questions be asked satisfactorily, though. Not without the supreme wisdom. Because I know people that eat very well and they still get sick. I know people who are very trim and they run and they jog and they still get sick. So it's not the outward that's going to sustain us, it's that which is within. So this supreme wisdom uh, represents, is pictured by Solomon. It's, if you would, it's named Solomon. Solomon pictures to us divine wisdom. If you remember, he had a dream once and father asked him, you can have anything you want, and uh, anything you want. And what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom and knowledge to lead the people. 
And that's the greatest thing you could ascertain and seek and desire to have to know is wisdom. And that's what the word ask means. You know, the Bible says, ask what you will and it shall be given to you. It actually means ascertain and seek and desire to know a thing and it shall be given to you. So that's what he wanted. So whenever a question is presented about the character of physical things and the many points pertaining to the overcoming, if you would, of physical decay, we, meet, we need to know that the Queen of Sheba has come to seek those things, to seek the spiritual wisdom with some of her very puzzling questions. And what happened then, when she came to Solomon, the wisdom, the divine mind, the holy breath, literally recognizes that consciousness and his own illumined understanding begins to shine light on her. You ever been in the presence of anybody and you literally felt like light was shining on you? And that's what took place there. So there's nothing withheld then. And every question that she had, the power that rules over this part of the being is fully answered. So I'm not saying we don't need to go to people for help. We need to make sure we go to the right people. But those people should be to what I'm always doing and Kay's always doing is we're pointing you to your divine mind. You can ascertain and seek and desire to know a thing if you tap into the divine mind and you'll find out that you already know it and it will be real, revealed to you. So now, after going through these different queens, we can read part B of Romans 6.22 and see what happened to the Queen of Sheba after she received the answers to her questions and was, I put, interpenetrated in her awareness by all the wisdom that was said to her. So Romans 6.22, part B, says, Now that you know the truth, you know and understand that those sacrifices and the works of the law were a disgrace to you. They created a false identity and veiled who you truly are. The end of doing all these works and observances of these many laws is death to the knowledge of your father creator, and it ends up being your death. So what happened when her questions were answered? Well, <clears throat> in 2 Chronicles 9, 12, it says, and King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatever, whatsoever she asked, beside that which she had brought unto him, he gave that back to her. See, she brought him all kinds of wealth. You ever wonder why she did that, Donna? It's kind of like she's trying to earn the answers, right? That's what we were taught to church is bring stuff, bring stuff, do stuff for Father. I mentioned uh, a week or so ago, a lady in our church uh, gave $500 that she she needed, and I knew she was going to tell me something about it later on. I didn't know who got it, but I saved it. I didn't, I didn't deposit it, and she came and told me. She said, did you get my $500? And she said, the reason I did that is because I wanted to prove God that I love him. And I, I, said, I said, sister, you don't have to prove that. God knows you love him, and I gave the money back to her. And that's what Solomon did. He gave the money back to her because you don't have to pay for these answers. You don't have to earn these answers. You don't have to earn anything from Father. You already have it. You just need somebody that can stand up with light on perfection and explain to you that you've had it from the foundation of the world. So it says that she was satisfied with the answers wisdom gave her, and she went back to her true self, which is the land. It said she went back to the land, but she went back to living how, out of who she really was, and she lived out of how she learned, and she instructed her people as a king in understanding. So she became a king, not a queen. Esther became a king, not a queen. I mean, they called her a queen, but she had understanding. And so the queen of Sheba, which means ruler over the sensory or physical plane, 
was able to take back to her kingdom the knowledge that there is a higher understanding and there's brighter light when we lay hold on these things in our conscious awareness. There's much more to learn. And then what that does, that lifts you out of an incorruptible, uh, a corruptible life into an incorruptible spiritual substance. And that's who you realize that you are. So this is the beginning, if you would, of the process by which the mortal puts on immortality. Remember the Apostle Paul said, the, immortal, the mortal must put on immortality, and the word mortal means a liable to die mentality. So that's, that's great for us to understand this. And when this takes place, we no, no longer live out of that mentality. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5.53. They put the word must there like it was a law, but all he said was put on. He said, just put on, put on, put on. It's not that you must, you know, but if you want to live out of who you are, then you will. So the same will be true of the awareness of some who in type in their awareness are like the queen in the Revelation chapter 18, who said, I reside as a queen. In other words, I reside in this lower awareness. I, 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 and she, then she begins to declare, I'm not a widow because I'm still married to the old man. And she said she would see no sorrow. And that's where a lot of people are today. And so in closing, I didn't do a whole lot today. I didn't want to be real long. But she was deceived, just like we were deceived. I thought I still had an old man most of my life. I thought I was still married with Adam. I identified with Adam. We were never to identify with Adam. Adam was not the cause of the sickness and disease and poverty, the sense of that that people have today. The cause is embracing religiosity. That's the cause. And there's many forms of it. There's many religions I've talked about. I think there's 40, 4,300 different major religions in the world and then all the sub-religions to that. Literally, you could find thousands and thousands of religions out there today that people are embracing. And none of them, for the most part, are teaching a word that brings truth to us. We are not a religion. Jesus did not come to start a Christian religion. And people think that he did, and he did not. And so... This, this uh, old awareness that we thought that really needed correcting uh, it's been corrected because we are fully involved in mining the gold and finding the silver of the living word. Uh, and uh, trying to think where it's at. Job. Job talked about there being a place where the gold is mined and the silver is fine. And gold represents divine nature, and silver represents redemption. And as I've said before, redemption in the old, old outlook books means a, a letting go, if you would. And then the, the new outlook books means embracing. I've got other words for it, but I can't recall them right now. But we, we need this word of truth, and we need to receive with meekness the truthful implanted word. The, the translators use the word engrafted. To me, engrafted means I take like an apple tree, and I engraft a different version of apple tree. It's not the real, but I engraft it, and they both produce both fruits, if you would, or whatever. But I, we're not engrafted. We are who we are. But there's an implantation that took place. And when did it take place? At the foundation. When Father created man from the foundation, he put contact within us. He put his divine mind within us. So we receive with meekness. What, what does that mean to me? It means to be still, to be quiet, to, to not be anxious or anything, and just receive this implanted word of God that's inside of me. When was the living word implanted? From the foundation. 
So you're not here to, to get a divine mind put in you. You're not here to get life put in you, in you. You're not here to get healing. You're not here to get miracles today. You're here to wake up to what you already have and to begin to live out of that. And I've given you many, many examples of that, and I'm not going to give them to you today, but I think most of you that are following us understand everything that you thought you needed, you already have. Everything that you've been asking for, you already have. So all we need to do is to come into contact with that, that Solomon side of us, which is wisdom and understanding. And David over and over and over told Solomon to seek wisdom. And he always referred to wisdom as a her. And so uh, the spirit or holy breath is feminine. And so that's what we do. And we feed on that. We, we meditate on that. We, we, as Linda's saying, we chew on it in the heart. And the heart is our awareness our heart is our understanding, and the heart is our very the very spirit of God within inside of us. And so that's you know where I'm at today. That's what I'm. I I pretty much was uh, led to that because when I looked at the notes from Six Steps to the Throne, it was always talking about that Queen in the Book of Revelation, and it made it like we that's who we were, and we needed to correct ourselves, and that's not. That was just our awareness, and we don't have that awareness anymore. So I hope you enjoyed that. I. Uh, Went a little short, but not too much. But I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing, and uh, it's a, it's 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 fun to be able to open the scripture up and to be able to see and understand truth. And I hope you're feeling that way too. And I hope you're able to take these things and explain to people. Those of you that have subscribed to my month uh, month or weekly transcripts, uh, I've already got it ready to uh, send to you, and I'll do that today. And you know, anybody else that wants to, all you need to do is go to my Facebook page and look for a uh, link or I can send it to you and contribute $10 a month. That's it. Every week that I teach, you will get a complete uh, transcript of what I taught. So a lot of people are doing that. And we appreciate you, appreciate your support and appreciate your love. And I thank you for praying over me and my body. And I'm expecting to walk whole as all of you are. So God bless you. Thank you.